You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, online now is Mitch Sherman of The Athletic. We are taping this. It is almost 9.45. It's, uh, it's, it's Monday morning, August 1st, and Mitch is at Memorial Stadium. He just, uh, he, he just saw the, the open practice session. Mitch, do you have any hot takes in, in taking a look at the 2022 Huskers for us here? It is always like drinking out of the fire hose when you come out of that thing because there's questions about who was there, who was not. Was this guy working with the first team or the second team? So we had about 25 minutes this morning, and we'll get that again next Wednesday to get a uh, get an analysis of right. what this roster looks like. Um, my hot takes coming out of that: for Scott Frost was um, was truly walking around. He was not working with the quarterbacks. That was that was Mark Whipple today. Uh, this morning, early in practice, so Frost was doing his thing as a uh, walk-around CEO type. I liked um, what I saw from the running backs. I'll give you that, okay. um, and and maybe the leadership of uh, of Garrett Nelson. Um, Garrett was was uh, up in everyone's face, as uh, as you might you might like to see. But the running backs, they got a lot to choose from. Uh, Brian Applewhite didn't see much as far as uh, those guys uh, carrying the ball, but catching passes out of the backfield was impressive from uh, Ramir Johnson, who was clearly leading this group to uh, Anthony Grant, Jacquez Yant, and um, a guy to watch for sure is uh, number nine, AJ Allen uh, as a, as a uh, pass catching running back. He, uh, he has some special skills. God, this is good. Okay. So I'm just going to let you, you kind of led things for me here. I had a bunch of different directions to go, but let's, let's stick with the running backs. One of the things I was going to do with you is play a more confident game. And I was going to give you two options. You're going to tell me what you're more confident in. The first thing I wrote down were the running backs or the wide receivers. I take it after at least this 25 minute session, you would say running backs, you're more confident in that crop of and group of, of dudes. Yeah, I didn't watch the receivers a ton. There wasn't a lot of um, downfield passing that was taking place, and when it was, it was it was often the tight ends. Uh, saw a lot of Travis Bokalek. He was back out there and he's healthy and he was running running well, along with Chancellor Brewington, um, Nate Borkerture, uh, Fedoni's on the sidelines um, as expected. Thomas Fedoni, the second year tight end uh, out of Council Bluffs, who's still on the on the mend from a knee injury in the spring. Brody Tagaloa who's a D lineman um, in this recruiting class switched to tight end and, and he was not at practice this morning. Chris Hickman was, was another tight end who was doing well, but I didn't see a ton from the okay. receivers. I saw Omar Manning. Um, Omar Manning looked good, catched it, caught a few passes. Um, but um, no, I didn't get enough of a look. I think just because of what was taking place in practice at the, at the receivers to say, uh, that I'm more confident in them than I was going in, but the backs, yeah, I'm, I'm, my confidence has has um, has gone up in the backs just based on the sh- on the short observation periods. Today. You, you know, you one of your observations was that Frost was kind of walking around and doing that CEO type thing. 
One of the big topics, really, over the course of the of this whole offseason, and, and it kind of popped its its head back up at Big Ten Media Days, was just the the topic of Frost's involvement in the offense. How much is he going to be involved? How much should he be involved? How, where do you fall out on that? Because I definitely think there's probably a fine line here where, like, I mean, he is the head coach, and, you know, this is offense is where his expertise lies so you could have imagined that he's gonna pop his head in and have just you know some involvement now the degree of that we shall see I guess how do you how do you see all that with with Frost being involved in the offense with now Whipple taking over yeah Frost he sang a different tune I thought in Indy than what I heard in the spring and what I expected heading into the season he made it seem like he was going to remain involved in a way that um, was a little different than what I expected. You know, I heard him talk at Big Ten Media Days about having his hands in just about everything that was going on offensively. And again, this was like a 30-minute period or less, so we didn't get a chance to see what it's like for Scott Frost oh, of course. throughout yeah. an entire day or an entire practice. He spent some of his time on the sidelines. Uh, just right, right. chatting with the media a little bit. So um, there was that element to, to uh, you know, which, which never would have happened in, in a previous year, um, saying hello um, in the middle of a practice to, you know, people who weren't an important part of that, of that, of that operation. Um, I, I tend to think that when Nebraska gets into the season and it gets down to the, you know, the difficult, uh, moments in a game, whether that's August 27th in Dublin or September 17th back home. Look, he's not going to be far away from the the brain trust. He's going to be making the, the the decisions. Obviously, that's what the head coach does. This, to me, was somewhat of an anomaly, what we witnessed here with Frost displacing himself for the most part from the uh, the main action at practice. I think he's going to be involved and involved heavily as this year goes along. And the more uh, tension that this program faces and, and this team faces, uh, the more that he's going to have to involve himself. That's just a necessity for the head coach in those moments, and uh, especially in a year like this for the Huskers. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, Mitch. Uh, everyone is, is psychoanalyzing Frost and his vibe, his body language. And, you know, I'd certainly say that his vibe at, at Big Ten Media Days, you were there. I mean, watching it on TV, he certainly didn't like like look like he was in the greatest of moods. Uh, but I guess w we'll kind of do the same thing and try and analyze him. Like, what's your, what's your read on where he's at? right now as a coach as a person heading into what is obviously an extremely critical time as his head as head coach at Nebraska he was kind of defiant last Tuesday in Indy I thought um and he's been like that in the past you know which, which I've seen Frost take somewhat of a contrarian view when there's a narrative that exists about his trajectory or what's expected of him or even what's expected of a, of a player or a position group on the team, you know, he tends to try to present uh, the alternative. Um, so I've seen that before. And that was definitely on display in Indy when it was suggested that he was going to step away from the offense. You know, he's, he said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to be heavily involved when it was suggested that he was feeling heat because of a lot of pressure that has been placed on, this team 
uh, you know, he said that's normal. Any any Big Ten team, any any coach at Nebraska is going to feel that kind of a thing. So I don't see from that perspective a lot different, a lot, a lot that's different out of Frost this year. But again, I, I do think when it all boils down and you're in the heat of the moment in September or October, it's he's 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 going to have it's going to have to be um, a new experience for him. Yes. I, he, I don't think he's been through no. what he's going to face this year um, as far as the, the, the pressure and, and just the, um, you know, the overall atmosphere that surrounds this program. Yeah. I mean, if you just think about it, I mean, he's probably really uncomfortable right now on a variety of levels. He's he That's what is, Trev Alberts wants. Yes. He wants him to be uncomfortable. Yeah. I, which I think is, is, I don't know. Sometimes you can you can get uncomfortable, and then on the back end of it, you're like, "Oh man, this that was great. I'm glad I went through that, and I'm now better for it." But then sometimes you're so uncomfortable that you never fully can. You're focused on that lack of comfort, you know. Like, I, and I don't know where where Frost is at in that. I mean, this thing, it's it's. I mean, obviously, this thing has not gone well. He's now his thing is offense. He's having to give that up. There's a ton of pressure on him to to win or and it's not just like this is a different level of like, you know, certain guys being like a Mike Riley hot seat or even a Bo Pelini hot seat. These guys are not from Wood River, Nebraska, where their their legacy on a variety of levels. Like if this doesn't go well. There's a lot that has changed about Frost and his relationship with Nebraska. So, like, I also think, like, yeah, I would think this dude's probably on on edge right now. And, he, and he's one of those guys that strikes me as he can't help but wear his emotions on his sleeve. And that's just kind of how he is. And maybe he needs to get better at 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 projecting a, 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 a certain vibe about him, regardless of what's going on inside. But... Yeah, I mean, I can I can completely understand how this dude is really, really, really uncomfortable right now. You know, we're not going to be thinking about that that day in Indianapolis uh, on whatever it was, July 26th. We're not going to be thinking about that in November. Right. Um, we're not going to be thinking about you know his lack of an opening statement or or what what he the 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 message that he sent um, to the media before the season, you know, really all of this stuff that's happening now, it's August now. So we've got four weeks until uh, the Huskers go three weeks until the Huskers go to Ireland. Um, All of this stuff that happens right now with frost off the field before the games begin, it's, it's, it's not, it's not going to be the story at the end. The story at the end is going to be how many games can he win? How many, how many, moments can he have in this season that uh that go against the 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 trends that we've seen in the first four years can he get that win against oklahoma you know can he can he go on the road and um and beat an iowa or a michigan um how does nebraska stack up this year against minnesota and purdue teams that have gotten the best of the huskers in recent seasons so i yeah i think we're in this period right now where it's easy to dissect and analyze what you see from Scott Frost, his body language, all of that, but it's not going to matter right. at, at the totally end of it. Agree. Trev Alberts is going to be assessing some, some very different things than what we see right now in July and August. Well, lean into that for me because there's been, uh, you know, there's obviously the mystery metrics component of this thing. Now, Trev has kind of really pushed back on the idea that there's a hard number. And then I think he said in, yeah. in uh, Indy that sometimes, 
you know, a win total or a final number can be deceiving or misleading. I can't remember the word he used. And then, then obviously, there's that October 1st, which is a big date right. for his contract. I, on August 1st, how do you see all those things as we're just a, three weeks away, four weeks away from kickoff? I'm still one of those guys that thinks this is just with it, removing all of, obviously, the, the details of it. And I get that the details matter. I'm one of those guys that still thinks six wins, he's coming back. Like, I think as long as this thing shows any progress at all, he's coming back. But I think you had a line in your one of your latest columns that you you don't think – that necessarily is true. You think you they, there needs to be a a seven, eight, nine win type season, or am I did I misread one of your one of your lines in your columns? Hmm, I don't know if I said that. I I, I will say, I will ask you this. I'll pose you this question: If metrics are not numbers, then what are they? Uh, because to me, the very word metrics implies a number or a series of numbers. That's what metrics are. I mean, think about metrics in in football, in baseball, in in all of sports, you know, in elections, whatever you wh- whatever you might want, it, they they are numbers. So I, I was amused somewhat at, at <clears throat> the way that the storyline about the metrics that exist in Scott Frost's contract, the way that that storyline has evolved since the news emerged last November that there were these agreed upon metrics. It's gotten to the point where it's like the, if they're not numbers, what are they? Because you, you can't just say, um, OK, Nebraska has to look good in this game and uh, it needs to um, it needs to, uh, you, you know, the, the eye test, whatever it might be. I, I, I think that 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 the number element um, is very prominent in the metrics. So how many do they need to win? You know, I'm not going to say eight or even seven, but I think it needs to be a 500 or better season. Um, I may have said after I talked, so after I talked to Trev in early July and, you know, he addressed again, the metrics and he said, you know, I, I think that that word has, uh, you know, taken on life of its own. If Nebraska had this to do over again, I'm not sure that they would have put out the, the word metrics totally in, in describing what happened. It might've been some other kind of phrasing, um, with Scott Frost's contract. And that's how I think Trev is looking at it. So maybe he's not looking at it completely like, like these are numbers, but um, they have to, they, they have to, uh, they have to do more than, than just win. They have to, they have to look a certain way and you know how that all factors into uh, the, what, what was mutually agreed upon, you know, your guess is, is as good as mine, but I'm, I'm, I continue to be somewhat befuddled by the notion that, there can be metrics that are defining what success is for Scott Frost, and yet somehow those metrics don't include specifically include numbers about about, about games won uh, this season. Yeah, no, I think I think you're you you're there's everything you said in there was I was in agreement with. I think uh, I think a couple things if I can react to what you just said. I think I think first of all, I think Trev is trying to back off the metric number because he doesn't want to paint himself into a corner with anything publicly, and I think. The metric number, I bet it's six wins. That's what I bet it is, Mitch. I bet it is six, and I think they don't want that necessarily to get out because that is a probably a that I don't know how that would get met. I I, I think that would get met like boy has the standard fallen, and it's like well, what world have you been living in? You know what I mean? Obviously, like the standard has has fallen, and so that that's probably what I how I would land on it. And I think just to, so you make sure I didn't put words in your mouth, like reading this is I guess I interpreted your line in your column of. 
Uh, you know, the time is now for Frost to win, or perhaps it's to hit the road, and Nebraska appears intent uh, to steer him toward one or the other, not the yep. middling kind of five or six win season that has long tormented the Huskers. That was I read that as like, oh, Mitch maybe thinks that five or six wins, five obviously, but six may not get it done. That's why I asked the question, just so you know that that's where I was getting Yeah, at. I do think that. I do think that, and I, I think that's a different discussion because I don't think that has a lot to do with the metrics. Okay, um, okay. Um, I, I, I'm talking there, and I'm saying that Nebraska needs to be done with – the middle of the road gotcha. um, type of seasons that Frost, it's time for Frost is being given the resources um, by Nebraska, by his bosses, uh, being, being given the freedom to go out and hire the coaches that he wants to bring in the players through the transfer portal that he wants to make a move in the Big Ten and get up in that seven, eight, nine win range and obviously secure his future or it's 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 going to be bad or it's it's the, the other alternative to that is not necessarily five six wins hang around have a um you know have a a, a difficult discussion in november um i don't think nebraska wants any part of that conversation you know of course what it wants and what trev alberts wants is to be uh way above water and yeah. to not not be worrying but if if the alternative happens um that's that's what that's Scott Frost has has brought that on himself. Um, I, I think this is the year where they're ready to, um, you know, hit it big or move on. Right. Um, and, and that's yeah, that's that's. I see what you're saying. I you know, and that's the thing. It's like obviously in a perfect world, of course, as a decision maker, you want the decision to be obvious. And but here's the concerning thing: is you would have thought year four, three and nine would lead to an obvious decision. And it didn't. That's why I like in some ways, I think and maybe and and maybe you can answer this if you think that the fact that this was year one for Trev played into this at all. But I think the fact that three and nine didn't result in a change tells you that Trev wants to make this thing work like this. This thing, he is going to wait till the till the very last moment of it. Have it like he, I don't think he wants to make it a, a change at all. That's my yeah, read do, on it. I do think that that it factors um, very much. Year one for Trev factors very much into the fact that no decision or that, that a decision to keep fraud, a decision to get rid of Frost was not made um, after a three and nine season. You're right. Three and nine in year four, the worst record yet. I think in 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 most instances, in most circumstances, would have led to uh, a change, but because of uh, the change in the previous summer in the athletic director chair um, that, that, that is that, that loomed very large in, in what happened after the season. And there were other factors too, Nick. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. don't, don't, um, don't get me wrong. Like there were financial considerations. Um, the, 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 I'm, I'm sitting here outside of Memorial stadium right now, talking to you, looking at, uh, a crane that hovers above the North stadium expansion project. And there was a hundred million dollars committed by Nebraska donors to build this thing in time for the 2023 season. It's going to be open a year from now when Nebraska is going through camp. And that may not have been a reality. If Trev Alberts had chosen an unpopular, had taken an unpopular path with his decision after last year, you know, they're not right. all of that money was secure and there were things nick that were fluid 
in the decision process. I think by waiting a year, what you do is you take away some of that uncertainty, some of that fluidity, and you make it a, you make it a, a, a situation where if Nebraska has to move on and make a change, it's very clear that that was uh, something that was needed. Yep. And it was, <laughs> it was something that, um, that, that, that absolutely had to be done and was, was going to, to benefit this athletic department um, in a way that, uh, you know, you might not have seen after the 2022 season if they had chosen to make a move at, with a three and nine record. Yeah, I completely agree with with what you just said there. I one of the things that I thought was on a it was like the most simple thing ever from Frost at Big Ten Media Days, but I I thought it was it really hit at something that I think is really really interesting about this year. He said, "quote." I think we've we've had more talent than we we have more talent than we've had, but we got to become a team. That goes for the coaching staff and the football team. I ask you, Mitch, are the biggest challenge for this challenges for this season tangible or are they intangibles? I think they're intangibles. I think there's a lot that goes into getting this team to mesh, and it starts now. It started five practices ago last week. When it started when uh, when Nebraska put on the pads on Friday for the first time. It started in the in the summer in the meeting rooms when the players got together, when they went through the conditioning drills, when all of these transfers. It's not just the 15 out of the Division One ranks, but there's three junior college transfers. You know, we talked about Anthony Grant. He's one of those those JUCO guys. Deshaun Singleton is another one. They have new faces in new places all over the field, and the intangibles weigh heavily in getting this thing to come together. I, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's the, the tangibles. We see them there in front of us. It's, yep. it's about talent. It's about um, statistics and, and returning starts and, and yardage and, and um, var- variables like that. But I, yeah, I, absolutely. The intangibles to me are what, what's going to turn this thing from a three or four win team into a seven or eight win team. That, that's, that's where they've got to win win the battles this year. The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella. Won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. You know, Mitch, at some point, everybody's got to turn the page on Adrian Martinez. But before we completely turn the page, at least for you and I, as we talk, can I, I'm going to ask you one more Adrian Martinez question here, yeah. because I, I've just been fascinated. And I, I don't know how your, you know, your conversations go when you're out and about doing things. But just even in the past two weeks, I've had a conversation with two two friends of mine and then two other friends of mine. And it's remarkable how when Martinez gets brought up, the the opinion on him varies from, man, I think that guy was a stud 
and mm-hmm. it just it was what was around him that 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 he, he had no help to then I'll talk to some people like Adrian Martinez was terrible and people I can't believe people didn't see it the turnover machine all those things yada 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 where do you like do you think there's a better chance at the end of the season because sometimes you don't know like sometimes you don't know that your girlfriend is super toxic until you have another girlfriend a new one and you're like oh my god I can't believe <laughs> can't believe that I put up with this stuff for for as long as I did you know like do you think there's a better chance at the end of the year everyone's gonna go oh my gosh we really miss Martinez how there's a new level of respect for him or is it gonna be like I can't believe how much he was a part of the problem for Nebraska it's gonna be interesting to see is Martinez the one who's saying that about the toxic girlfriend at the end of the year when he when he has Kansas State to compare to Nebraska, or is Nebraska, are Nebraska fans uh, saying that about Martinez in comparison to Casey Thompson or, or the next quarterback? Right, I, I don't know. I don't think we're done thinking or hearing about Adrian or talking about Adrian in part because he's got a season to play down in Manhattan this year, and there are inevitably going to be comparisons week by week by week. Um, not just comparisons, but analysis and people are going to be looking at what he's doing. And even if they're not trying to um, place that performance back into what it might look like with the Huskers, it's going to be impossible to, to, to not look, to not observe all that Adrian Martinez does. There's more, there's more to come out. My colleague, Max Olson, had a long sit down with Adrian this summer leading into this season. And he's got a story coming out soon that I think will get some people talking um, in Nebraska, uh, shedding more light still on what happened at the end of Adrian's career and, you know, how the path uh, led, how he was led down a path that placed him where he is now. So now this is far from over Mm. Um, and it's probably not over even after this season, because where's Adrian Martinez going to be a year from now? Is he going to be preparing for the NFL? You know, that would be a surprise to me. Is he going to be um, going out in the job market and and doing something in college football? Is that going to involve the state of Nebraska? Will he be around Nebraska after this year? I don't see any signs from him that he wants to give that up. You know, as Adrian moves forward in his life, it looks to me like he's still going to be um, around Nebraskans, around Nebraska football. It's a large part of who he is after four years as the starter. So it'll be interesting to see what his legacy is long-term and, you know, of course, how that um, how that all meshes with the coaches who are currently here in Lincoln. Um, you know, it may be that four or five years down the road, Adrian Martinez is a more notable and popular figure in Lincoln and around Nebraska than anybody who's currently here on the on the coaching staff, um, or it may go a completely different direction. But uh, my main point in this is that I, I think we're we're far from being done uh, with his story. Yeah, I I, I still think I, I'm with you, but I also think the second that guy has a Kansas State helmet on, I think everything changes. Like I think it's easy to be like, oh, like I think it's easy for Husker fans to to still hold Adrian in high regard. And I'm not saying this is fair or not, but I mean you see this sometimes in professional sports. It's like the second someone puts on a different hat, the yeah. lens at which they view them change. Like the dude is a Kansas State Wildcat. And so I'll be interested to see I'm with you. Like five years from now, Adrian Martinez 
how you know his his Q rating in, amongst Nebraska fans. I think a lot of it probably depends on how these next five years go. Like if things go well, Frost gets it going, and Nebraska's winning. You know that as a way of being like, ah, we loved Adrian. Yeah, he helped kind of get her. You know, he was he was he was a he was a good he was a good teammate, a good player, all that stuff. But it maybe depends on on how the next five years unfold for Nebraska in that regard, which is unfair to Adrian, but it's the reality of the deal. Have we ever seen a situation like this where a player leaves a program and yet remains connected at the hip to, to the degree that Adrian Martinez has through this offseason? I mean, you hear him and he has his podcast yep. and he does and he continues to bring on people like Jack Stoll or Luke Gifford throughout the offseason. There's not a lot of Kansas State uh, talk no. on there. And I no. understand when, right. the, when, when the Wildcats get to practice this week and when he's playing games in a month that it is going to be Kansas state and Adrian Martinez for one year, for one fall, for three months. And then he's going to move on in his life. And what's it going to be after that? He's going to be a former Nebraska quarterback, Nebraska graduate, four year starter in Lincoln for Scott Frost, the guy who defined uh, the majority um, will all of Scott Frost's time at this program up until now. Um, I, 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 it's really intriguing. I can't think of a guy who's ever left any program, not just Nebraska, but any program and moved on and been as much a part of the past yeah. um, at the place that he left as Adrian Martinez Martinez is um, in, it, w- connecting him to his to, to the previous four years at Nebraska. Let me ask you this. Taking the whole scope into consideration, which picture do you like more? Martinez at quarterback with the combination of Verdusco and Frost, or do you like the, the picture of the combination of Casey Thompson, Chubba Purdy, Logan Smothers with Mark mm. Whipple. Which picture you like more? Boy, that's tough. Um, right now, I like what Nebraska has. Right now, I like Mark Whipple uh, with the transfers and Logan Smothers as the holdover because we saw it for the majority of four years with Martinez and Verduzco and Frost. And it wasn't taking Nebraska to the place that it needed to be. So there had to be a change. There had to be a new, a new outlook. They had to try some. Frost had to try something different. And if he if he had changed out a few pieces and say he brought back Adrian for a fifth year, and made a change at coordinator, but you know kept the, the offense in place as it worked for Martinez, I really think you'd have been looking at a situation where Nebraska would have just been kind of stuck in the middle. They had to turn the page. So right now here in, in August of 2022, I like the change. I like Whipple with the, the, the different faces around him, but um, it's hard to say a year ago or two years ago or three years ago that it looked like this in any way could have been the better option. Right. Mitch, you can throw a bucket on cold water, cold water on this if you want, but I've I found myself, and this is also like classic, like late July, early August now thinking when you just have had way too much time to think about the season. But lately, I've I've started to gain confidence in Nebraska having a pass rush. I just between okay. Mathis and Garrett Nelson, I just I, I all of a sudden I'm like third and seven. In Ireland, like Mathis on one side, Nelson, like I'm, I'm like I like that. I, I think like I, I'm not saying it's going to be you know Sue Crick 2.0, but like I, I think they got a chance to maybe have a pretty dynamic pass rush. You want to grab the bucket of water and dump dump it on me, or where are you at? I'll dump it on you a little bit for Northwestern <laughs> because if there's one thing that Northwestern does well, uh, it, it's going to be to I think to avoid sacks. I don't think Northwestern is going right. to put the I don't think Northwestern is going to put its quarterback in a position enough 
to take a lot of heat in the season opener. And the Wildcats do have a couple of offensive linemen. They've got a guy who was at Big Ten Media Days who is projected as a first-round pick on the offensive line. So I think if there's one thing that Northwestern can do well, it's to protect, it's protect that passer. And that doesn't mean that I expect Northwestern to play well or to, to win the game or to move the ball offensively, but I, I think that it will be able to neutralize that pass rush. Eventually, uh, you get home for a couple of games before OU comes to town. That, to me, is going to be the opportunity for those guys to break out. I think Gary Nelson is a beast. I think he can have a huge year. I think watching O'Shawn Mathis today coming off the edge at practice, um, seeing what he did at TCU, understanding what Caleb Tanner brings to the mix, knowing what Barrett Root has with his inside linebackers um, who are experienced and talented uh, and capable of getting to the passer. And then you, and then you throw in the other two guys in that defensive front seven on the interior, like Ty Robinson, like Nash Hutmacher, Colton Feast as a, as a, a smaller guy in the middle. I do think they have the ability this year to get after the, get after the QB. Does it happen in week one? Uh, not, not so, or week zero, sorry, not so certain about that. I think week one and week two are when you're going to see Eric Janander's unit have an opportunity to really turn up the gas on, on uh, opposing quarterbacks back here at Memorial Stadium. Do you think the defense is going to be better than it was last year? Is it going to be slightly, take a step back a little bit? What do you think? Well, they don't have some massive pieces. Huge pieces. Uh, some some six-year seniors from a year ago. You take JoJo Doman out of the mix. You take Cam Taylor Britt out of the mix. You take Damian Daniels out of the mix. Uh, ben Stilley. You know, you talk about the safeties with Deontay Williams and Markel Dismuke. They're all gone. Tough to replace. Yes. I think by midseason, it can be a group that is, if not better than that one, uh, on par with what it's doing. Um, Nebraska, a year ago, because of the dynamic between its offense and its defense, played to allow that defense to help win games more than what we've seen in the past. I don't know if we're going to see that early this year. I think that, that Nebraska is going to go back in, in a certain way to trying to lean on its offense. But as the as the, the season progresses, we get into October, I do think there's an opportunity for the defense to be as good statistically as what we saw a year ago. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that you're going to replace Cam Taylor Britt. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a guy out there who plays like JoJo Doman. But I think at different spots, um, with the way they're going to scheme, uh, those those edge rushers um, with what they can do with Reimer and Henrich. And I think a guy to watch, uh, a young guy to watch in the middle for Rude is Ernest Hausman, the, yeah. the true freshman from Columbus. Yeah, they have an opportunity. They have an opportunity to be a top half of the Big Ten defense, which in reality is about what they were a year ago. Um, it wasn't like this was a dominant unit that uh, you know, was was ranking in the top ten nationally in in various categories. Uh, they they were they were solid. They held their own against most opponents in the Big Ten West, and I think they can do that again this year if um, if some of those pieces come together. I, I just I cannot wait, Mitch, for and it might happen in Dublin when we're watching that game. It gets to the fourth quarter, seven minutes left, and it is twenty three to twenty, or it is twenty four to twenty one. Or it is twenty one twenty one. This is in some ways Nebraska's inability 
not in some ways. The, 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 if you're telling the tale of the Frost era and why it hasn't worked, it's this situation. Like, they've lost more one-score games than anyone over the last four years. I saw this stat. It might have been Sam McEwen that had it, that Nebraska's had 14 one-score games in, in the West Division, and their record is 2-12. and 12. Like, it, not good. Not good. Not good. <laughs> not good at all. I, for me, like, I, if they're bad again in close games – it's going to be incredibly perplexing, and I guess the one common denominator you'd have to say is probably Frost, and so on some level it's going to be him. But like when I think about what leads to good, to good, good things, and on, on an oversimplified way of like, okay, how are you good in close games? Well, it's like quarterback play. Well, got to have a new quarterback. Uh, play calling. Well, you're going to have probably a new play caller. You know the the important guys that touch the ball. I would throw in the specialists there, like kicker, punter. Though punt returner, you could even say ru- wide receiver, running back. You could have all new faces that have their hands in what would really, really lead to success or lack thereof in close games. They're all could be new. I'm just, I can't wait. The one score thing is still is going to be so interesting this year. People are not going to enjoy hearing this on Uh-oh. the podcast, but I had a chance in early this summer, in uh, late May to go to Minnesota and sit down with everybody up in Gopher land, including PJ Fleck for like an hour in his office. And we got to talking about last season uh, with Minnesota and how it won nine games, but he considered it a failure on the heels of, well, 2019 was a great year. Yes for Minnesota 11 wins. And then they took a dip in 2020 during the COVID year coming back. A lot was expected of Minnesota with Tanner Morgan as a fifth year senior quarterback. Last year, you had Mo Ibrahim as a fifth year uh, senior running back. He got hurt in the, in the season opener after a huge first half against Ohio state and some things went against Minnesota. Notably, it suffered some close losses to Bowling green to Iowa. Um, and it didn't come together the way that Fleck envisioned as an extension of that 2011 season, they didn't win the West. They didn't, um, you know, they didn't take the program to a level that it, it had, it had yet to experience under him. And when he talked about those, those setbacks, it was when he talked about why he saw last year as a failure, despite nine victories, it was about those close games. And we got in depth on why Minnesota lost those games on the importance of winning games that are up for grabs late in the fourth quarter. And you hear that kind of talk from another coach in the big 10 West, you know, I know how they feel about those kind of situations at Wisconsin at Iowa. I know how Pat Fitzgerald coaches in those moments. It's just so essential for Nebraska to find a way to figure that out and to hear a coach spell it out the way that PJ did when I was up there with him, but people don't like him. But I think if you did a blind taste test of coaches in this division, in this league, and you just put everything aside, you know, take the row, the boat signs down um, everything that you might not like about PJ Fleck, just disguise it and listen to the guy talk about football, listen to him um, talk about one score games and the importance of them. Listen to check out what their record has been in, in, five seasons with him as coach, uh, Nebraska fans would take it. Oh, they would, yeah. they, <laughs> they would I take like Fleck. everything about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting 
to consider in the context of the way that Nebraska lost football games in 2021. Yeah, it I, I, it's going to be so fascinating. Are you going to go? Are you going to Ireland? Or are you? Going. Are you going, baby? Wow, look! Have you ever been? No, no, I have not. Nebraska leaves three weeks from today. Um, as we said earlier, it's August 1st. Yep. Uh, I leave three weeks from tomorrow. So yeah, I'm over there oh, wow. Wednesday morning um, through uh, through Sunday, and That's I can't cool. wait. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm very much looking forward to getting some of that Irish culture. Um, For sure. I talked to Pat Fitzgerald last week in Indy, and, and of course he's been there, and, and both in the lead up to this game and, and, and previously. And, you know, he was touting, he was touting Dublin and, and, uh, how much fun it's going to be, uh, for, you know, the people around the game, not necessarily for Nebraska players and, and Northwestern players. Um, they've got work to do, but, you know, I'll, I'll have some time to have a little fun in Dublin. So I'm looking forward to it very much. Have I, can I, have you, uh, can I give you one Dublin story from Nick Ball? Yes. Real quick before I, before I let you run. Uh, so my wife and, uh, her sister we were all in Ireland this would have been almost 10 years ago to the to the moment here mm-hmm. and we go of course we're like we first I mean we like we throw our stuff in our we were in a hostel we throw our stuff in there and we're like we got to get straight to an Irish pub right we got to get to an Irish pub we got to drink Guinness we got to do the whole thing we get in there and you know my wife was a bartender and bartenders no names of shots, right? Like that, like every shot's got like some funny, funky name to it. And so we get up to the bar and my wife had a momentary kind of brain fart. And she says, okay, uh, what do you want? I said, I'll just, I'll do Guinness. And then she goes, okay, we'll do a Guinness. And then can we also do three Irish car bombs? And yeah. for those that don't know, an Irish car bomb is a, it's a type of a concoction of a shot or whatever. And you can tell this, this, bartender gave us a look like what did you just say and she goes okay hold on and she goes and she goes and gets the owner of the pub this pub guy comes over and goes you know and i'll try my chubby it's like he's like tell me what you guys wanted again and we were and it's like we wanted uh three irish car bombs and this guy go this guy gets a smile on his face a little bit luckily he was a good sport about it. he goes he goes you do realize that's like me going to new york and ordering three 9-11 shots don't you and i was <laughs> <laughs> luckily we all kind of laughed we're like oh my god i mean i we didn't know what was going to happen to us and he said i'll give you a little shot and he goes but i get a drink with you this guy proceeded mitch to sit with us for three hours he couldn't have been more fun he couldn't have been more outgoing but we almost our trip to dublin almost ended because my wife ordered a, a stupid name of a of a shot so do not mitch do not go and order an irish car bomb shot when you get into a dublin pub okay that's amazing i will not do that <laughs> i i will uh i will ask the locals for uh their suggestions i can't go. i can't wait what what part of uh dublin did did you all stay in so we were dead in the heart City there was, Center? yes that's yes yeah. we were dead in the heart we were uh we were near the the guinness factory was uh, was close uh-huh. within a you know, it was pretty close to where we were at, and I think it was the Temple Bar was the name yeah. we were at. Oh, yeah. That's a, yeah, we were at yeah, the Temple. Yeah, I saw that on the I saw that on the on the uh, on the map. That's yeah. where we were, and I'm telling you, in my life, like I'm right I, there. It, I'm yes, right there. then go to the, the Temple Bar, drinking Guinness with with fellow Irishmen in there. It couldn't have been. It is what you think it would be. Like, ah, oh, I wonder what it would be like to go drink with some Irish people. It, it was. They are the nicest, most outgoing, most fun people. You are going to have a a blast. You're gonna you're uh, gonna yeah. love it. 
I can't wait to come back with all kinds of stories of what it was like for the Nebraska media crew that was over there and, you know, people around the program. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know because usually when this, when this uh, contingent of media, it's an eclectic group. And usually when we're out on the road <laughs> uh, covering Nebraska football, yeah. you know, Hey, I get out and do stuff. I know other people do. We don't all, I mean, there's, there's, there's groups that get together, sure. but Ireland's going to have to be a little different. We're going to all have to get together yes. and, and do something memorable. Yeah. Um, otherwise it's just, I'm going to just be hanging with, with Nebraska fans, uh, you know, at, at large, which well, I'm sure I'll, I'll do too. You know, there's 20,000 of them who are going to be over there. I know some people who were going. This is going to be a road game like no other. So, and, and then when it when it all gets to Octo- to August twenty seventh, um, that Saturday night in Dublin, it's it's going to be man, Nick. It's just going to be weird because um, all of that is going to be set aside, and whatever this game <laughs> right. is about, it, it just it's I know. you know it, it's all going to come down to those those four quarters, man. and you know the whole the whole thing. You know, this is not like a bowl game. Where if you lose, it's like, oh well, you know, that's that's uh, that's life. That's how it goes. It's it's just such an important big game on the Nebraska schedule that um, we're not going <laughs> to. Well, for one one reason or another, we're not going to remember much of anything else that happens. It's <laughs> a good way. It's a good way to put it, Mitch Sherman of the Athletic. Mitch, you are more than gracious with your time. Always enjoy our conversations. Uh, if I don't see you or talk to you before, uh, have a safe trip, have fun in Ireland, and let's catch up uh, in the season, my man. All right, we'll do. Thanks, Nick. Take care. Thanks, Mitch. A Huda Media Production.